Welcome to the Startup Conviction Podcast, where I interview early stage founders about their startup's value proposition and the strength of their conviction. I'm your host, Darian Parrish, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we're here with Christina, the founder of Unpacking. Christina, thank you so much for joining. Could you tell the listeners what Unpacking is and why you decided to start the company? Yes, absolutely. So I am Christina Ashley Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of Unpacking, and we are an online learning platform that specializes in gamified diversity training. Great. And let's let's dig in really quickly to what gamified diversity training is. So we, we uh, know that there's a trend of gamification under the underway. Um, diversity training is, is something incredibly important. Um, what gave you the idea to merge the two and what does that look like? So I come from a hybrid background. Um, I was an educator, am an educator, um, but I was um, direct service in education for about 14 years. Um, I hold a master's in teaching from um, USC in um, teaching social science where I have a specific concentration in critical race studies. And I entered tech after a kind of aha moment that I had while working in um, San Francisco, where I was realizing that there was this whole world going on around me in the technology industry that I had no clue about. I couldn't speak the language. I didn't know how to enter. I didn't know how these people were making all this money. And so I took a risk on myself and quit my, my job and decided to go back to school and get a second master's degree in integrated design technology and business, which was also at the University of Southern California. And what that did for me was open the door in recognizing how the work that I'm do- I've been doing in education could be reformatted to enter um, organizational spaces if I knew the language. And so once I started getting introduced to how can I, um, how I can provide uh, human-centered design and critical thinking um, packaged in ways that make sense within these business sectors, uh, these seeds were planted for me to start to lay the foundation of, of this like hybrid um, learning experience. That's great. And let's talk about the target customer for this. Um, Do you have a certain size uh, business or organization in mind? Is this good for any type of organization, nonprofits or other, or is it um, targeting a specific sector or business size? So we are industry agnostic. We work with small to enterprise level businesses. The way that our trainings work are cohorts of 30. So whatever size your organization is, they'll go through a training with us in cohorts of 30 people each. So like a typical class size, if you may. And the experience provides this intimate atmosphere where the gamification and this experiential learning um, transforms the level of knowledge that is retained. So what we see in our in our learning process is that through the experiential um, learning time we see both in using our interactive activities on our on our platform combined with our virtual workshops teams regardless of whatever industry um, they may be coming from are leaving with four times the retention of knowledge than typical um, 
professional development trainings. And what we've seen over the last 10 years is that diversity, equity, and inclusion is becoming more of a mandatory training within workplaces. And that number was only exacerbated by the events of 2020 with the um, response to the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor murders. Yeah, and it sounds like you have some impressive metrics that, um, you know, prove your your methods are working. Let's, you know, present some even cha- more challenging questions now around yeah. how you compete with those um, incumbents, because you are a startup. You know, there are other firms that work on training and, um, you know, staffing and uh, HR, and um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of publicly traded companies now, very large, that do this. Mm-hmm. What is your competitive advantage or the edge that you see and that you're leveraging to make sure you can compete in the space? I always like to ask people a question when um, we go into our discovery calls. And my first question is, what do you hate about diversity training? So if I asked you that question right now, what would come up for you? Uh, Yeah, that's, that's, um, I'd probably say I hate training in general. um, But but (laughs) Maybe it would be that the uh, lack of results oriented, right? So um, I want to make sure that uh, the positive outcomes that we're hoping to achieve uh, can be, you know, confirmed and actually achieved. Love this. Exactly. And that's in alignment with a lot of what we see. We see people saying that the trainings are being done for compliance sake like to check it off and say that it's done, but we're not actually seeing behavior change. We see people saying that it's boring and it's superficial. Um, It's done in silos. Essentially, when we think about like our competitors on the market, if you look at like a LinkedIn Learning or Coursera, if you're searching topics around DEI, they're essentially telling you, hey, go watch this video. Now you're not a racist anymore. That's not how things work. We're humans and our secret sauce is the fact that we designed our trainings to be interactive with other humans. So in our hybrid model, teams complete a series of interactive activities on our platform where they get to um, work in their own individual process and in collaboration with their peers. And then they join us in a virtual workshop where they have expert facilitators like myself that are not only um, trained in the um, workspace and organizational culture space, but specifically in the academic topics as well. And so there's this level of cultural competency that we're able to provide in an in an industry around like HR, where we see 90% of the professionals there are white, which leans us to believe that since the terms, for example, um, anti-racism as one that was like literally just introduced in two workplaces like a year ago, um, the competency levels that are necessary for HR directors to meet the pressures of CEOs and the changing workforce that has this whole new set of organizational values and standards is is imperative. And so we're here to provide this full package, this one-stop spot um, shop of both um, uh, content um, and delivery so that 
the changing workforce that's expected to be about 70% um, millennials and Gen Z by 2030 will be entering workspaces that have already been intentional about creating these systems and structures that are designed to keep them there in a sense of belonging rather than organizations losing out on top talent because of microaggressions and pay gaps and a number of other things that um, impact a a, an employee's um, uh, productivity in, in an organization. And you mentioned the number, uh, I believe it was 70% of uh, the mm-hmm. workforce by 2030 will be millennials or Gen Z. Is there something, you know, interesting about that, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z that make them either, you know, easier or harder to train? Is there, um, you know, what's interesting about that as it pertains to unpacking? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is just values. So like a value set, it's a new generation, um, new demographic. We see that the standards of what equity and inclusion looks like just in society alone. I mean, for example, look what just happened on TikTok, right? With the black TikTokers protesting and not um, creating new dance moves for releases, right? It's gotten all this press coverage around um, who's being compensated on the culture, who's being compensated on providing um, assets. And when we think of, and that's like, that's happening, just happening in our um, general public space. So when we think about how this translates into a workplace culture, this same level of, um, I like to use the word like Ghana's, right? Like the perseverance, the, the mandate that people are receiving the compensation and recognition and acknowledgements that they deserve for their contributions um, isn't going to be something that this new um, demographic of, of workers are going to compromise on. And so the organizations that are expecting to retain top talent have to have these systems in place. So that's one. So just like the values are changing. Two, the delivery, like how people um, retain knowledge has changed. We We live in this social media design society that has decreased our attention spans, has also created a wealth of content that is visual and interactive. And so we've taken those best practices in um, visual learning and interactive learning, experiential learning, and designed that within our training process. And so what we see is outside of just the technological um, components of our platform, we've got awesome chatbots and GIFs and emojis and all of the things. We also have this really awesome opportunity for the learning because peers are able to storytell with one another. They're able to see critical thinking from their peers and discuss subjects that they don't typically talk about within the workplace. So by default, coming out of it, there's this amazing growth in in bonds and relationships that doesn't typically occur in what we've what we've seen statistically in professional development training. And so if we know anything about humans, it's that 
Empathy is built by interaction with other humans. We're constructivist thinkers. We make meaning off of what we have experienced in our own lives and by storytelling and listening from other people's experiences in their lives. And so we can't, we can't build a robot for everything. Some things actually need human interaction. And I think that's our, our, our biggest differentiator than a lot of what we see on the market right now. I appreciate you articulating that. I think, you know, clearly you're very knowledgeable on the space. And um, I'm thinking now, how do you scale out a team? Uh, You know, this is always a founder's challenge, but how do you scale your time or how do you delegate some of these responsibilities to others? Um, How do you find enough talent um, as you keep up with the, the rapid growth? This is a great question. So I definitely have a couple of tips and tricks. Um, so specifically for startup founders, we are, we're in year one. Actually, um, July 1st is our first year anniversary. So that's super exciting. Um, and some ch- tips uh, that I can definitely share with folk in, um, in the same stage is that I hire teammates as consultants on a quarterly basis. So essentially we have a year long roadmap. We have, right, you have like your five-year roadmap and you have your year long roadmap and then you got your quarterly roadmap. And so we have projects that are three months that are for a quarter. And I hire consultants to complete projects on that for throughout that quarter. And if they have this skill set for the next phase of our development in that next quarter, then they are like top of the line of eligibility for um, staying on for that next quarter. But everyone comes on as part-time, as um, a contributing expert, and they receive recognition on our platform. So for example, we have been building out um, our library of modules. So at Unpacking, we don't lump all DEI training together under one umbrella because it is convoluted and there are there are different um, core topics that we need to master before we move on to the next. So at Unpacking, we have six core modules, anti-racism, LGBTQ rights, gender rights, disability rights, sustainability, and product inclusion. Once a team completes one module, they can return and scale their learning into another subject. And so, we launched with an anti-racism module that did really, really well. We got a grant from Beyonce. We got into Techstars. We landed Salesforce as a client. Like it was awesome. However, in order to scale it, I needed to bring in experts in these other spaces to build out these modules. So over this past um, quarter two, I had I had experts in LGBTQ rights, gender rights, and disability rights that built out those those curriculums. And now we're moving on to our sales um, and operations strategic planning. And so now we have a new set of products that we're working on for this upcoming quarter. So like, that's one of my biggest tips. Can you remind me um, uh, the follow up? I feel like there was a follow up to the question. Uh, I I think it was just... Uh, you know, around the team, basically, and and really just understanding, uh, you know, how you scale your time. Um, and, you know, yes. part of that's building the team, but maybe there's, you know, an additional component of how you're thinking about, uh, you know, maybe that even goes to org culture, and how you yeah. make sure you retain uh, the vision that you had when you started the org and how, yes. how to maintain that and um, 
let that uh, go uh, flow through all the employees. Okay. Yeah, this, this is great. So in the follow-up to what I just said around um, bringing people on in your early stages on like quarterly projects, this works really well in your long term because one, money is tight. You may not be able to have top salaries for top talent. However, consultants, um, there, there's different um, ranges of pay rates that, that happen there. And then when you do raise your seed round and you, you have more fun or your revenue, you hit in revenue numbers, like, like, um, like you really want, then at that stage, you have this whole pool of candidates that you've already seen their efficacy. You see their personality, you see how they add to your company culture. And it's kind of like when you're going into, um, into a job, you have that 90 day probationary period, that three months that they just work for you is low key, that 90 day probationary period. So when you get to the stage of your company where you can bring on more full-time folk, this allows you to pull from people that you already know has an invested interest in it is familiar with it and that you can continue um, to scale and invite back in incentives such as title promotions and salary raises and all that jazz. Um, the other component I was gonna say too around thinking about um, just capacity levels, design studios, developer studios are a great resource to build the technology out if you have a tech company. Um, at these early stages, because you're getting multiple experts, um, uh, software engineers for the price that would typically cost you for one person's salary if you don't have the funding to get that full person in-house. So that has been how we've been able to get to get through this part in year one. Um, and now we're moving on to our next, um, our next phase where we're by the top of um, 2022, we will be in position to now start bringing on our full-time team. Great. And congratulations. Uh, Thank and you. really appreciate, you know, sharing your insights with, with other founders. Um, let's move into the final question, which is uh, what, what gives you the startup conviction that mm. in three to five years, uh, the unpacking is going to be, you know, where you see it now and that, you know, you're really going to get to that, um, you know, goal you're trying to achieve and uh, you're, you're not going to get squashed by competition and, and you <laughs> might be uh, hopefully a category leader. Absolutely. Um, the conviction for me comes from my bloodline. Um, I'm the great, great niece of Jackie Robinson, who was the first African-American in Major League Baseball. And so he broke the color barrier for all of sports. And I'm following in his footsteps. The way that I think about my work is I'm breaking down these barriers within these organizational structures because they vicariously have, not vicariously, they have um, the symbiotic relationship with society. Like what happens within our organizations and what happens in society can often parallel each other because our organizations are just a microcosm of society. And so I'm doing this work, not just for passion, but for legacy. Um, in in the family that I come from the way that I am very confident and lead with conviction in what we're building is when we witnessed the aftermath of 
the George Floyd murder in 2020 last year, what we saw was this frenzy of people trying to find resources, people disseminating resources, all the stuff on disparate websites. There was no centralized hub for this content. And so unpacking is building the centralized hub for all things DEI. And this next phase that um, we're beginning now as we, we transition into quarter three, our core, um, our core projects are setting up our infrastructure so that we are publishing content, we are providing resources on our website, and we're providing training so that when they're is a need or the words DEI are spoken by default people will think unpacking well that's great I really hope that's the case it sounds like you're you're really leading the charge um, anyone who's listening and uh, you know has questions about diversity equity and inclusion unpacking is your resource Christina thank you so much for joining I really appreciate it absolutely it's been great thank you